Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see all your faces, and it was great to hear all of your voices. There was great energy uh, this morning, and we appreciate you joining us for worship. We are so glad to be here together, and we do trust that God will speak to you in the ways that you need to hear from him. Now, one of the things that we've done the last two summers here at First Baptist is we've tried to engage students who uh, have had interest and being involved in ministry and in, in some intern things and, and in, internship responsibilities. And so this morning is the last Sunday that we will have our two epic interns with us who returned this year. Uh, so Spanky, will you stand? Brandon Kleber. Um, you probably haven't seen him much, uh, but he helps out with the children's ministry a lot. He's studying um, elementary education uh, at Grace College and is going to make an awesome elementary school teacher, but I'm confident he's going to be serving in someone's church someday, and so we look forward to that. Uh, but we also have up here uh, Miss Michaela Myers, uh, my daughter, and uh, she's been serving and helping in a variety of ways when she's here in town because she's been the world traveler this year. And one of the things that we like to do is to give them a chance to do what it is that they are hoping to do. Now, Michaela is not hoping to necessarily be a preaching pastor when she grows up, but it will certainly be part of her responsibility. She's wanting to do missional engagement. So she's wanting to go into churches who aren't necessarily like ours, that maybe don't have a lot of engagement with missionaries and opportunities and connections in their community or regionally or nationally. And she wants to help them develop those connections so that the mission moves out of the pews and into the community around them and into the broader world. So as Michaela comes to her last week, um, I was talking to her actually earlier in the summer, and I said, hey, do you want to preach again this summer? She said, sure. It just so happens that Michaela's favorite passage of Scripture is Isaiah 43. And we, for those of you that have been here week over week, know that we just happen to be in a series on the book of Isaiah. So I was like, it's the Lord's will. So we're going to jump ahead, and this morning, Michaela is going to present to us a message from Isaiah 43, and I'm sure that you're going to be blessed if your hearts and minds are open to what God has to say through her this morning. We know that God's going to speak in wonderful ways. So let's pray for her as she prepares to share with us this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, Lord, and for your mercy. Lord, as we've seen time and again throughout the book of Isaiah, though there is the declaration and the truth of punishment around us, God, you have promised to be our salvation if we call to you. So Lord, as Michaela shares with us this morning the truth of your word, I pray that you would speak through her in clear ways, Lord, that you would calm any nerves that she might have and that you would just speak clearly through her, that you would challenge and bless our hearts today and hers as well as she speaks. We thank you for her. We thank you for Spanky. And, and for all of our wonderful students, and pray that you'd be with them as they go back to college. But in this moment, be with Michaela, be with us as we listen to her. May we hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I give you Michaela. Good morning, everybody. Well, since the year 2000, there have been more than 60 superhero movies released. That is an average about three per year, thank you, for the first 20 or so years of the new century. The number is even more dramatic when you calculate how many have been released since 2010 with the genesis of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel has released more than 30 movies, not to mention all of the shows that have been released since the development of Disney Plus and other streaming services. 
Perhaps the pervasiveness and popularity of superhero movies in recent years is an indication of the understanding of the deep need humanity has for a savior. We know the world is in deep trouble. We understand all too well how crazy life can get and how fast things spin out of control. We've all had moments where we've looked to the sky and wished or even cried out for someone to save us. We understand the deep need for salvation that exists in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Isaiah could certainly relate. There are a few clear themes that continue to surface throughout the book of Isaiah. One is that everybody is headed for disaster, often because of their own foolish and sinful choices. And another is that God himself is the Savior that will come and save the day when we call out to him for help. Now, if you could all turn your Bibles to Isaiah 43, that is where I'll be reading from. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created from my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let us bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I, and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? 
I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people who I formed for myself, that they may pro proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. One of the first things I noticed about this passage is to have no fear. He's basically saying, have no fear. God is here. But when someone says, have no fear, it usually indicates there's a good reason to be afraid. Isaiah starts chapter 43 with a conjunction, but now. This functions much like a therefore. A Bible study best practice I've learned in my time as a biblical study student is, when you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. The same applies any time a pa passage begins with a but or and as well. Perhaps we might rephrase the rule to say, when you see a but now, ask, what's before? And what's before is bad news. As is often the case in Isaiah, God has pronounced judgment on his people, and it is terrifying. So let's go back to Isaiah 42 and read verses 23 through 25. Which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. The pouring out of burning anger, the violence of war, being enveloped in flames, being consumed... That sounds like a solid foundation for a horror movie, if you ask me. It's the stuff of nightmares. The description almost reads as if God is unleashing a bit of hell on earth. The consequences of our sin and our failure to follow God are scary. There is plenty of reason to fear when we choose to go our own way and do our own thing with utter disregard for what God has asked of us. At least, in part, the reason the world is in the shape it's in today and suffering is so widespread is our stubbornness and refusal to repent and come back to our God. But now, do not fear. But why? Because God has claimed us and called us his own special people. Isaiah jumps back to the beginning. 
It's important to remember that Israel was slash is only a people group because God made them so and named them through Jacob. They're only a people because they are his. God promises to redeem and call them. Even though God allowed them to go through a time of correction and punishment, they are still his people. His ultimate plan is to rescue them, to reclaim them from the horrors of exile and bring them home to be with him once again. We can say the same thing of the church in our own time. We only exist as a people because it pleased God to make us such in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And all people of creation are the Lord's and have been offered a place in the family of God through Jesus. God still calls to people, offering redemption from the penalty of sin. God promises to rescue his people in the present and the future, but does so by providing shades of past deliverance. Passing through the waters and rivers is a not-so-veiled reference to the parting of the Red Sea and the Jordan during the Exodus. Walking through the fire without being burned is a reference to the rescue of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon. God promises to care for his people because he is their God and Savior. He loves them, even in their failure and rebellion. And he is working for their deliverance and salvation. God is with us and offers us the opportunity for rescue, no matter how far from him we may roam. There are no limits to the salvation of God. Nowhere is beyond his reach. East to west, north to south, afar or at the ends of the earth, God is with them and will rescue them. This is a promise from God to his people. This is why Isaiah can say, do not be afraid. Even when God's people fail to keep their side of the bargain, God is faithful to follow through on his side. Though we fail him time and again, God still loves us. Though we run far from God, he still seeks and delivers us. Though we trample upon his holy name, he still saves us for his glory. Isaiah provides a double dose of fear not. Verses 1 through 4, he says, do not fear, I will be with you. In verse 5, do not be afraid, I am with you. It's a reminder we need both early and often in our lives. It's a reminder that God most graciously provides numerous times in his word. Fear not. Deuteronomy 3.6, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or terrified. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Matthew 10.31, so don't be afraid. John 14.27, do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And those are Jesus' words. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. This doesn't even take into account any of the instances where angels declared the salvation of God with a fear not introduction. So have no fear. God is here. There is only one God and Savior. There is only one God and Savior. We can't save ourselves. We may have all of the necessary parts, but we lack the ability to use them. 
But one commentator writes, Isaiah 43.8 almost certainly refers to the servant Israel. It leaves no doubt that their hope is not in themselves. They are blind and deaf. They are not in a position to give ministry, but only to receive it. There's a popular phrase in recent times, and it is, in many ways, an American mantra. God helps those who help themselves. We believe in the value of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but this is not in the Bible anywhere. It's nowhere. Actually, it's the furthest thing from what the Bible teaches. God helps us because we can't help ourselves. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and it's only through God's intervening power and presence that we can be saved. In fact, our tendency to try and do it all ourselves is what got us in this mess in the first place. Adam and Eve's sin wasn't some epic failure. It was simple. It was believing they would be better off if they took things in their own hands. Salvation became a necessity when we thought we could just help ourselves. And there is no other hero or God to which we can turn to for help. All of the superhero movies that have been released in recent years all have at least one thing in common. They are all fictional. They're fictional, not real. They are all imagined. Not one of them is a real living entity. Their powers and potential are all empty. God puts himself on trial before the world. He invites them to compare him to all the other so-called gods of the age. Which one predicted what was to come and then had the power to bring it about? Which one promised deliverance that provided real historical evidence to validate their claims? God invites them to provide witnesses to validate their claims and calls his people to the stand to prove his faithfulness. We can't save ourselves, but we are called to serve as witnesses and evidence of God's saving grace. We must share what he's done for past generations and what he continues to do in our own lives. God alone can provide the salvation we need. Twelve times in three verses, verses 11 through 13, God uses the first person singular. God declares who God is and what God will do. God makes it abundantly clear that he alone is the hero they need. He is the one for which the world is searching. He is the one who made all things and keeps them going. He is the one best suited to offer salvation. Jesus echoes this in the Gospel of John when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter understood this as well when he declared in Acts, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The world is looking for a hero. But there's only one who offers eternal and lasting salvation. One almighty God provides 
Only Almighty God provides salvation through the work and person of his Son, Jesus Christ. We can look to the sky all we want. We can cry out for help to any God or hero we want. But it is only by calling on the name of Jesus and trusting in our Creator that we'll find the saving grace we so desperately need. And even when we wander away, God continues to make a way. Even when we wander away, God continues to make a way. God has done amazing and unforgettable things for his people in the past. God promises to once again redeem his people by providing salvation for their current suffering. He will once again return them from exile. This is not the first time God brought his people back from a time of suffering in a foreign land. Isaiah didn't really need to remind them but he points them back to the Exodus. It's not something they were likely to forget. I mean, there is a whole book of the Bible about that incredible event called Exodus. It was the defining event in the history of God's people. Israel drew their national and religious identity from what took place in that time. Isaiah sets the stage by pointing back and then gives God's word concerning what's happening. This is what the Lord says. Forget about it. Clearly, God isn't suddenly expecting his people to stop remembering his past faithfulness. He's not trying to erase history. Instead, what God is doing is trying to reset their expectations. God will be doing the same thing saving his people, but God will not be restricted by expectations that he work in the same way, using the same methods as before. Every year, my mom's side of the family has a celebration on Thanksgiving Day that we call Thanksmas. On this day, we have a massive party celebrating three major events. Obviously, we celebrate Thanksgiving, but we also celebrate Christmas and my great-grandmother Nana's birthday. We've celebrated Thanksgiving every year that I can remember. The first Thanksgiving that I can remember took place when I was around six or seven. I remember it took place at the house of my mom's cousin. It was a huge house with an awesome basement. There was lots of room to run and play, and a ton of kids to play with. It didn't take long for us to get distracted, though. As families continued to arrive, the Christmas tree would swell with presents. I couldn't wait for the food to get done so we could hurry up and eat, and we could finally get to open the presents. It was amazing. But a few years later, we didn't drive to that big house with the awesome basement anymore. Instead, we went to a church not far from my grandparents' house. My cousins and I all got older, and rather than running around and playing, we sat at tables and talked with each other and even to the adults. We're at the adult table now, people. 
The experience is still awesome, and I very much look forward to it. But it's always different. In some ways, it's become completely new and fresh. And I'll be honest, I struggled with the change for a year or two. It was hard for me to let go of my expectations based on past celebrations. I didn't like going to the church. It didn't feel the same as the big house. It threatened to negatively impact my experience. In a way, I needed to forget the former things so I could enjoy what was happening in the moment. Humans are really bad about elevating tradition. In the process of remembering what God has done for us in the past, we often create restrictions on how we expect and are willing to let God move in the future. This is a mistake. God tells his people, don't be so caught up in what I've done before that you miss what I'm going to do next. God will bring about salvation in his way through his work. God is unchanging in his character and nature, but he is infinitely creative and working in new and wonderful ways to make his grace known and available in the world. God has every intention of rescuing his people from the consequences of their sins, but he is going to do it in his time and in his way. He is going to do a new thing. God alone can fix what we've broken. He blots our failures and forgives our sins. We know that ultimately salvation has been made available through Jesus. He is the only source of eternal salvation. But in his grace, God continues to use an ever-growing variety of avenues to help people find Jesus. We, as his people, need to be constantly on the lookout for ways that God is making his salvation available to us, but also for ways that God wants to work through us to make his salvation available to others. When I was a little girl, the camp I attended experienced heavy rains. So much rain fell that the rivers and creeks all began to rise, and the cabins that were staying closest to the river had to quickly grab their things and move them to cabins up on the hill. I was terrified until I happened upon this passage. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> As the waters rose, I was assured that God would save me. And I still believe that's true for us today. The great news for the people of Israel is true for us today as well. God made his salvation available in amazing ways in the past, but he is here with us now. We don't have to wonder if help is on the way. We know with full confidence that help is here. God is with us and is working in and through us to accomplish his will and to draw us ever deeper into relationship with him. May we not get distracted by a misplaced hope in our own abilities to help ourselves or drawn away by false heroes lifted up in our world. Salvation is only found in our God 
and he freely and continuously offers it if we're willing to seek and receive it. Lord, thank you for today. I thank you for everyone here, and I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to come and die for our sins. I pray that anybody who doesn't know you as their Savior, that they will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, Michaela. I appreciate her boldness and her willingness to stand up here. Can we thank her right quick? Well, before we go any further, I want to call an audible. If you are a college student and you are here in the church, could you come forward and join me here at the front right now, please? Yeah, that's both of you. Even if you're visiting, come on up and join us up here right quick. Go ahead and stand on the row here in front of me. I got to be honest, um, from my earliest times as a youth pastor, uh, my, this was my, one of my least favorite seasons. Because you get done with all of the summer running, and you've had, you are so my kid. <laughs> um, you get done with all of the summer running, and you've had all of this time with, with these kids that you've spent uh, all these years investing in, and especially those that are just getting ready to go for the first time. And I thought when I became a senior pastor that it would get easier, uh, but it doesn't. Even when I wasn't working intently with uh, the students, it was always hard for me to look out and see spaces where faces had been. And uh, it's still difficult now. Maybe even more so, because one of the faces is mine, you know, my daughter. And uh, so all of these awesome students are getting ready to head off to college. And uh, I know that there are parents in the house that some that are, are maybe ready for that space to be empty again. But I'm guessing most of us in some ways are struggling with the transition, uh, even with our babies that are fully grown and uh, married and living on their own. I don't know that we ever get over that. And I'm okay with that. Uh, but as we have just a couple minutes, I just thought it was appropriate for us to bring these wonderful students up here and to take a moment to pray for them as they get ready to head off to school. And uh, also for their parents and their families in the weeks ahead as, as this transition takes place. So if you would stand with me and join me uh, this morning in praying for these great students as they get ready to head off to college. If you would agree with me in prayer, I'm going to invite you to just reach a hand forward with me. This is our practice here at First Baptist, just as a signal that you're with me and that we're committing to pray for these kids, these adults, excuse me, as they continue on with growing in their lives. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for these young men and, and women, Lord, that you have entrusted to us Lord, I thank you for their lives, and I thank you for uh, just the amazing people that they are becoming. God, we're grateful for each one and the families that they represent. Lord, we're grateful for their schools and for their effort, Lord, and, and we entrust them to you, Lord. We thank you for the futures that you have planned for them, Lord. We know that you have great plans for them, that you have amazing things that you want to do to, through, and with them. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would begin working in their hearts right now. That, Lord, that you would calm any nerves. 
Lord, that you would be with them in the next few weeks as they make this transition. Lord, we pray that you would be with those that are already at their schools. Lord, that you would be a constant presence with them. Lord, we think of what Michaela just said. Lord, that we don't have to wonder if help will show up. Lord, that you are there. And we're grateful. So Lord, as these, these students step into a new season, some maybe for the first time heading off to college, some going back, Lord, we know that it will be a new and a fresh experience, Lord, and that you are doing new things in and through them and in their hearts and their minds and their lives. Lord, prepare the paths before them. Lord, we pray that you would just do amazing and wonderful things in their lives, Lord, and Lord, that you would work in and through us here, Lord, calm the nerves of parents and grandparents and families, Lord, ease the struggle in our hearts as we release our students to you as they continue to move into adulthood, to move to the adult table. Lord, we thank you for them. We love them, and we entrust them to you this morning and the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless y'all. Thank y'all.